Good morning, everyone. I'd like to switch gears this morning, just as my own work switched gears seven months ago. Paul Watson came to join us, and we'd been planning this for some time. But my own work has been redirected in large part toward the training of the next generation of preachers. And we've been hopeful that over the next decade or so, we could train several men to preach what Paul calls in this epistle of Ephesians that we're studying, chapter 3, verse 8, the unsearchable riches of Christ. I've thought a great deal about imparting what I've accumulated over the last four plus decades to the next generation of preachers. I've spent a great deal of time thinking about this, studying it, as well as uh, building a rich depository of accumulated experience that I hope will serve the next generation of preachers well as I try to train as many as I possibly can. In many respects, I'm giving you just a, a small window this morning, a little peek at what Paul and I do every single week. And I'm taking the big picture of things and allowing you to peek in at the kind of advice and counsel that I give to him. Once in a while, we look at the big picture. Other times, we zero in on the notes, nuts and bolts of, of specifics. Every week, for example, Paul reads a book and gives a book report on it. It may be apologetics, it may be a homiletics, it may be theology, it may be uh, some other aspect of, of church history or theology in which uh, he has to focus in on, on something that will pertain to his work as a preacher in the years to come. And then we talk about that extensively. There are a number of other assignments that he does. But there are a couple of things about Paul I think you should know. I've come to appreciate him more and more here recently. I think that, that many of you have seen his progress, particularly in the last couple of months. I think it, his learning curve is really starting to take off as he applies many of the principles that we've talked about. But I've always appreciated Paul for as long as I've worked with him for two things in particular. Number one, he's an original thinker. He thinks outside the box. I am quite confident that Paul will not simply go through life regurgitating the status quo and mindlessly regurgitate uh, traditional views toward things, that he'll open the book for himself with fresh eyes and call out of the scriptures themselves what God would have us know. I, I'm very confident of that with regard to Paul, and because of that, he's a kindred spirit of mine, because I have not wanted simply to, to mindlessly go into the automatic pilot mode as well. Another thing about about Paul that I appreciate and come to appreciate more and more is that there is definitely a lot of propaganda, misinformation, and censorship of truth in this wicked world. And Paul understands that. 
he understands that a preacher's role is to counteract a world of the devil's blinding of people, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Paul gets that. He understands that the darker that this world becomes, the brighter the light that we shine when we present the gospel to a dark world. In the words of Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was a threat to the powers of be in the Soviet Union many years ago in prison as a dissident, but one who won a Nobel Prize in literature, he was asked how writers could possibly uh, shine truth in a world of, of disinformation and his answer in one sentence is one word of truth shall be shall outweigh the whole world and i believe that's especially true when it comes to divine truth jesus says you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free in john 8 32. so with that in mind i'm going to give you a, a kind of a peek of the big picture of things that paul and i often talk about and so I'll be speaking to him this morning, and if you want to listen in, feel free to do that. Actually, there's nothing I'm going to say today that Paul and I have not really talked about on multiple occasions. But these are the kinds of things that we assess, not only from the big picture point of view, but from the micro view in terms of the actual specific details that we, we break down. Number one, it's very important that young preachers learn from older preachers who never stop learning. That's one thing that I have tried to communicate to him. Your, your learning curve never, ever, ever stops. I, I think that's important for all of us, but it's especially important for one who handles the truth of God. One of the biggest mistakes a man can ever make in life is a case of arrested development, where his learning curve levels off or comes to a screeching halt a person pridefully reaches a point where he thinks he knows it all or he knows all that he needs to know and the apostle paul corrects that in first timothy chapter 4 verses 11 through 16 when he speaks to his younger protege timothy he says command and teach these things let no one despise your youth but set an example to the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Devote yourself to them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. 
I believe many of us have seen Paul's progress over the last couple of months, but I've encouraged him again and again, and will continue to do so. Keep on progressing down through life. Don't ever stop learning. Practice what you preach. Continue to learn, continue to apply, continue to grow. Leonardo da Vinci once said, iron rusts from disuse. Water loses its purity from stagnation and in cold weather becomes frozen. Even so does inaction sap the vigors of the mind. Joseph Heller said, some men are born mediocre. Some men achieve mediocrity and some men have mediocrity thrust upon them. My counsel to every young preacher is do not be mediocre. Nelson Mandela once said, there is no virtue, virtue to be found in playing small, in settling for a life that is less than what you are capable of living. And so don't ever stop learning. Don't ever stop growing. Reach for the stars. Reach for your highest potential. Keep on growing and growing and growing till you breathe your last breath. Second piece of important counsel, and that is to preach the word. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, read in your hearing just a moment ago, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passion and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. One of the most important things that a, a young preacher can learn is preach the truth. And I would say preach the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. It's important to learn that even though preachers bring personality and creativity to the task, there are times, in fact, most of the time, when we must handle aright the word of truth, as Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, focus on the truth, but then get out of the way of the truth and let the, heavy, the Holy Spirit do the heavy lifting. There are many techniques to learn in church growth and evangelism to increase one's effectiveness. We talk about a lot of those things. We look in, at, at a lot of those specific nuts and bolts. But the real power, when everything is said and done, is in the message itself, divinely revealed by the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 1 and verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He also says in 1 Corinthians 1, 21, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. 
it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. People may benefit from many things, many different kinds of teachings. They may benefit from psychotherapy, from recreational amusements, from financial advice, from many different uh, uh, teachings in life. But what they really need is the word of God. What they really need is the gospel of Christ. People are lost in sin and they need to be saved. When I think about what the preacher does, I'm reminded of Warren Wiersbe's book, The Dynamics of Preaching, one of the first books that I had Paul read and give a book report on. In asking what preachers really are and what they really do, Warren Wiersbe says that uh, what a preacher does is uh, letting light shine in darkness. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple, Psalm 119, 130. What a preacher does is like planting the seeds of truth. The seed is the word of God, Luke 8, verse 11. What a preacher does is dispensing God's medicine to the spiritually sick. What a preacher does is bringing cleansing to defile dirty lives. What a preacher does is wielding the sword of the spirit against the enemy. What a preacher does is serving spiritual food to God's children. What a preacher does is investing spiritual wealth in the lives of God's people. Or another way of putting that is a preacher is a fisherman. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, Mark 1.17. A preacher is an ambassador. We are therefore Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us, 2 Corinthians 5.20. A preacher is a farmer. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest, Matthew 9.37 and 38. A preacher is a first responder, snatching others from the fire and saving them, Jude 23. A preacher is like a spiritual parent, for in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel, 1 Corinthians 4.15. A preacher is like a priest of God. To be a minister of Christ Jesus with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God, Romans 15.16. A preacher is a soldier. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds, 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4. A preacher is a herald, kind of like a, a, a press secretary. He preaches or heralds the word, 2 Timothy 4, 2. A preacher is a steward. We speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 4. A preacher is many things, but more than anything else, he is a spokesman of divine truth, which he does not manufacture or produce on his own. And so preach the truth. People may benefit from many things, but they need the truth. They need the whole truth. Paul says in Acts 20 and verse 20 to the Ephesian elders, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house. He says in verse 27 in the same opening, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God, 
So preach the truth. Preach the whole truth. And preach nothing but the truth. Peter says in 1 Peter 4 and verse 11, Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength which God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Preach the truth. Preach the whole truth. Preach nothing but the truth. Be urgent in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Number three, love people. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 says, Speaking the truth in love. Truth is the content. Love is the manner in which it is communicated. Colossians 4 says the same thing in verses 5 and 6. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That requires an investment in people, to love them enough to try to understand them, to try to build common ground so that we might find bridges into their hearts. Dee Bowman, who has been as effective a preacher as virtually anyone I know over the last several decades, wrote a book some years ago entitled, It's All About the People. He was not uh, trying to take any credit or glory away from God. He was simply focusing attention on the fact that if we are going to be effective in this life, we need to, to know people, to love people, to understand people to a certain degree. Preachers will be far more effective if they love people, if they interact with people, connect with people, spend time with people, study people, learn to read people. I, I really wish that someone had taken me aside when I was a younger preacher and really taught me the importance of people skills. I've tried to belatedly learn some of those over the years, but I really, I really wish someone had taken me aside and, and just set me down and, and crammed some of that into my, into my head more so than, than they did. Too often, we go to the public relations school of gangster Al Capone, he said, you can get farther with a kind word and a gun than with a kind word alone. <laughs> that may be great advice for robbing a bank, but not for long-term influence of working with people. Robert Woodruff, former CEO of the Coca-Cola Company, said success or failure in this job is essentially a matter of human relationships. Again and again, we see both individuals and organizations perform only to a small degree of their potential success or fail entirely simply because of their neglect of the human element in business and life. I believe that's absolutely true of life in general, but it's especially true in spiritual terms. Evangelist Dwight Moody once said, do all the good you can to all the people you can in all the ways you can, as long as ever you can. And so my advice to Paul and to any young preacher would be invest 
a certain amount of time in people and love them. I know that you've got to spend many, many hours in study of the book and in books related to the book. I, I understand that more than uh, anybody I'm talking to today. A preacher must spend many, many, many long hours in study. But that doesn't mean neglect people. We need to invest time in people to love people. It will be an investment that will pay huge dividends over time. In the fourth place, build up independent congregations. Congregational autonomy is not just a slogan with us. The Lord never intended for churches to band together in a federation with the centralization of power characteristic of denominations. Organizationally, New Testament congregations were independent one from another. Interestingly enough, even though the same truth should be embraced by every single church, Paul says repeatedly in 1 Corinthians that he taught the same truth in every church. But the individual constituency, the individual uh, nature of the, the membership in each church happens to be very different. The culture of congregations are, are different from one another. The language that they speak may be very different in, in more ways than one. And organizationally, uh, we need to, to understand that, 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 that no one congregation uh, should march to the, the same beat of the drummer of another congregation, aside from applying the same divine truth of the New Testament. Acts 14.23 says they appointed elders for them in every church. Each church had its own elders that were appointed from that church. Acts 20 and 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which or among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. 1 Peter 5 and verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Elders are not to shepherd somebody else's flock or a, a, a church that uh, does not happen to be the one to which they belong. Philippians 4.15, Paul tells the church at Philippi, you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership or fellowship with me in giving and receiving, except you alone. Paul was supported by the church in Philippi when he left Macedonia, and no other church participated with him in the same manner. So New Testament churches were organizationally independent and autonomous from one another. They were answerable to Jesus Christ as head over the church and to him alone. But there's another aspect to this, and that is that, that churches on the missionary frontier can become dependent in another way when they don't learn to pull their own weight or eventually become self-sufficient or independent by cutting off those umbilical cords of dependency upon others. It's very, very common uh, when American dollars are sent to third world regions and there's absolutely no light at the end of tunnel, generation after generation after generation, and in many respects, in the long run, it can become counterproductive. This was a point made by Leslie Allen in his book, Missionary Methods, St. Paul's or Ours. 
he was an Anglican, not a member of a Church of Christ. And yet in building foreign missions in other countries, he made the point, and I quote, foreign subsidies produce abroad all the ill effects of endowments at home with the additional disadvantage that they are foreign. The converts learn to rely upon them instead of making every effort to supply their own needs. I can remember when um, I was a younger uh, preacher and Ray Bota, who preached in South Africa for many, many years, would make the same point that um, South African churches that he would work with from time to time, he would teach them to be very independent and they were very independent. They would not become Americanized in any way, shape or form. They would pull their own weight. They would uh, support occasional preaching if they couldn't fully support a local preacher and they would not become overly dependent expecting all of the conveniences or comforts that we might expect in the cultural situation to which we have grown accustomed here. I have no problem with an American evangelist receiving American support over a long period of time to do the, uh, the work or to work with a number of indigenous churches on foreign soil. But I think we need to be very, very careful about uh, startup churches either at home or abroad that are never taught that eventually we have to take this over and do our own work without over-dependence upon the sacrifices of others. And uh, oftentimes what happens is young preachers, when they begin to get out on their own, are thrust in situations where they're immediately receiving outside support. And one of the things that uh, any, any preacher receiving outside support to, to benefit another local church must do. Uh, in fact, the, the couple of evangelists that we're supporting in San Francisco, they need to do this. At some point along the, the lines of converting a bunch of young people who are brand new converts, who uh, probably are not giving in, in many respects the same percentage or the same degree of sacrifice that uh, those in a more established church might might do. At some point in the process, if there is to be a strong independent church in San Francisco or anywhere else in the world for that matter, those members need to be taught that we need to take this over totally and completely and not only support our, our own work locally, but advance the cause in yet other places and not overly depend on the sacrifices, uh, uh, sacrifices of others. We have all been recipients of the sacrifices of others. No question about that. But those of us who have been blessed need to pass on those same opportunities to others and make the same sacrifices that others have made before us in benefiting us. Jesus teaches in Matthew 10 and verse 8, freely you have received, freely give. Or as the English Standard Version says, you have received without pay, give without pay. If we have been recipients of the unsearchable riches of Christ, if we truly come to value that, then we understand that you could never, ever, ever quantify the blessings inherent 
in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I understand that it is, it is difficult sometimes for a preacher to stand up publicly and to tell a congregation because it may seem, it may seem self-serving to say that, that, that ultimately we need to, to be generous givers and finance the Great Commission so that others will have the same blessings that we have. It may seem self-serving, but a preacher, even a young preacher, has to tell a congregation, this isn't about me. It's about something much, much bigger that God has set into, into motion. And, and there comes a point in time, if there's no light at the end of a tunnel for a church to become self-sufficient, then a preacher needs to go on and work with another church or another group or another situation. We do a disservice to the cause of Christ if we do not teach the independence of the local church, taking the resources, even limited resources in some cases, that God has given us and living within the constraints of those resources, God will multiply the resources. We need to have enough reliance upon him and enough faith in him to make the same sacrifices that our forebears have made before us. Churches on the missionary frontier will do better work in the long run if they learn to do their own work to provide for themselves. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 8, I robbed other churches, taking wages from them that I might serve you. And what he's telling them is you need to pick up the ball and, and to do what these Macedonians have done. Even to Philemon. The uh, Apostle Paul says something that, that would almost be unthinkable for a preacher to tell someone these days. You would almost think. But he says it anyway. When he is thinking about this whole idea of Philemon releasing his slave Onesimus or, or treating him with total fairness, Paul says this in Philemon 17 through 19. So if you consider me your partner, Receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. And then he adds this little phrase that speaks volumes to say nothing of you owing me even your own self. Paul could say that and get away with it. But I really believe in my heart of hearts that when good preaching is done today, there are people who are totally in debt and they need to, to, to express that in total appreciation by eventually giving back. And that's important and it's vital. And even a young preacher needs to teach that to churches on the missionary frontier. Finally, last but not least, develop a real partnership with your supporters. I believe for a long, long time that, uh, you know, it's an exciting thing to read about these cases of conversion in Acts and the development of the gospel and the, the progress of the gospel. The, the last word of the Acts of the Apostles is unhindered. That that no force uh, terrestrial or celestial could stop this. 
that the God, the onward march of the gospel kept going and going and, and nothing could stop it. And you see all these exciting developments and stories. And, uh, but I really believe that there are times when, when preachers have a front row seat to amazing things that, that God is doing among us, particularly if we rely upon him in prayer. He opens up to our eyes amazing opportunities. And it's important for a preacher to do a mental snapshot of some of those things. And in some cases, a, a physical snapshot, a real picture. And to, to represent some of those, those developments to those who have graciously supported us in the cause of Christ. Um, all three of the preachers you support locally did something at the end of the month of April, which uh, I hadn't done since I was supported by a little church uh, in Indio and several other churches to preach in Indio when I was 23 to 25 years old, a couple of years back in the early 1980s. Uh, in fact, one of those supporting churches in 1982 was the uh, church in Santa Clara. I had done a, a one-year stint in Santa Clara and uh, as a preacher trainee, and then I, I moved to Southern California near Palm Springs, Indio, and another church that supported me to preach in Indio was a church called uh, Sunnyvale. And so I was supported by Sunnyvale and Santa Clara to preach in Indio. And a lot of great work was done there. And I could tell you stories of some of the things we accomplished there. But I would write my monthly reports and uh, chronicle some of those developments. And uh, I, hadn't, I hadn't done a month, monthly report of, uh, of uh, my preaching work because I hadn't, hadn't been in, uh, receiving outside support since 1984 uh, when I moved to Tustin, California, in Orange County. But all three preachers here produced a monthly report in April of the work that we've done. Sebastian and his work, Paul and his work, and, and myself and the work that I, I've done. We uh, produced a monthly report for our fellow, uh, for the elders. And um, I suppose we could send that to, to all of you and maybe will. But uh, uh, I'd like to get the green light from the other elders before uh, doing that. But, but if... Uh, if any of you would, would like that from any of us, I would say uh, all three of us would be happy to send it to you privately. Uh, you can get a chronicle of what we accomplished in the month of April, if you're interested uh, in that. But it's really important whether uh, we have some means of, of reporting uh, the work that we've done on a regular basis, that there has to be some channels of accountability, responsibility, in which people who are sacrificing to make our work possible know that good has been done with those resources. And I really believe, I had no problem writing this and I have no problem sharing with, with any of you. In fact, I think it's, it's a good thing because I want, I want people to know what I do from month to month. I, I, and I hope that I communicate some of that even without a month, monthly report. But I, I think it's important to draw word pictures, to maybe take actual pictures from time to time, but to, to, to make representations of the work that we're doing and to be accountable 
And uh, that's true not only if you're receiving outside support, but if you're on the local home front. To become an ambassador for evangelistic success, you've had the privilege of having a front row seat in the things of God and the amazing spiritual developments of God. And this is more important than the evening news or the morning newspaper. You need to learn to communicate it with excitement and with passion. Appreciate those on the home front, including your local brethren and the local church who are making these sacrifices so that you can bring the message of salvation to others. And that's what Paul does in Philippians chapter one. Notice what he says. I thank my God in all remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine. For you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. For you all are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. The word that Paul uses for heart here is a Greek word not for the physical blood pump, the cardia in the Greek, but he uses a word that expresses the bowels. And now we would not uh, tell a loved one, I love you from the bottom of my bowels. That's not the way we express the seed of emotions in uh, American English. But in ancient Greek, they would speak of the heart in terms of those those bowels, the, 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 the gut. I love you in my gut, from the bottom of my heart, if you will. You are all partakers. You have fellowship with me in this, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. And so I'm thanking God for you all. Always, in every prayer of mine, for all of you, making my prayer with joy because of your fellowship or partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And we need somehow to communicate that over and over and over again. Thank you for allowing me to do what I love and to do it with passion and to do it full time. I think back at... Um, some of the things I've been able to do over the years. I, I think back even of, of last calendar year, for example, 2019, there is absolutely no way on God's green earth that I could, could have accomplished some of the things that I did if I had done this part-time in my spare time or in between working a full-time job, doing something else, family life and all the other obligations we have. There's no way that I could have accomplished some of those things if I hadn't had full focus on doing this and the support that is necessary uh, in order to, to have that, that full focus. But at the same time, by the same token, one thing that uh, a, a preacher has opportunity to do in, in working with all kinds of, of different people, and I take this also from Greg Kukul's book, which I cited earlier in the Lord's Supper talk this morning, Story of Reality. Here he, he talks about this not being a competing narrative in the, in the world of competing narratives, but the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the Bible, God's scheme of redemption, it's, 
it's the way things really are. It's the story not of, uh, of one narrative among many. It's the story of the way things really are, the, the, the story of reality. And then he gets to the last chapter. And he's described the, the, the whole plan of God throughout the ages from biblical and philosophical backgrounds. This is it. And he lays it all out on the table and then he personalizes it. And this is what he says. If you are a Christian, this is your story. If you are not a Christian, this is also your story. Because this isn't a religious fairy tale. This is the story of the, th of the way things really are. It's a story for you. It's a story that is not complete without you. And when a preacher takes the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ, and he personalizes those applications, that this story is not complete without you and your participation in it. He drives the point home. And he's able to report those things to his, his brethren. Exciting developments, but develop that partnership with your supporters. Very, very important. And don't ever forget that you owe them a debt of honor, respect, and prayer because their sacrifices have made it possible for you to do this great work. And so finally, I want to say to Paul, in the presence of all of you, that our prayers are with you. Keep us in your prayers as well. Our partnership is with you. We'll breathe a few breaths and, and uh, go through a few uh, services. And, and before you know it, Paul's time with us will be up. I'd rather preach this sermon now than, than uh, after a couple of years. But I, I really believe that uh, sending Paul out to this dark world is kind of like sending David out to meet Goliath. Every young preacher who goes out and faces the enemy is like David versus Goliath. But remember that David was undaunted. This is what he said. You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. 1 Samuel 17, 45, 46. And so, Paul, you have a, a great work awaiting you, and the blessing of the congregation is with you both now and when you eventually leave us. In fact, I would, I would just outright say it. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And to the rest of the congregation, I would say that what you're doing in making sacrifices for the development of sending a new man out into a world of darkness to hold up that bright light of the gospel is invaluable. You will never be able to quantify it. the good that will be done eventually. As Paul reaches others who will reach others who will reach others who will reach others. You'll never, ever, ever be able to quantify the good that we're able to do in this great work.
That's the sermon for this morning. If you're subject to the invitation call of this great gospel that we preach, contact us. Let us let us talk to you about how important it is to obey the gospel, to put your faith and trust in Jesus, to obey that gospel in, in baptism, and to give your life over to Jesus. There's nothing like it in the world, and it is. It is the story of the way things really are, the story of reality. It's the story that we preach to each person's heart, and we hope that you will take it to heart and make the applications that you need to make before it's everlastingly too late.